maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on eating freely at parties, a major shoes-off disrespect, whether or not to turn a family gathering into a baby shower, and a co-worker who is desperately seeking spoons. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment from Emily's delightful book, How to Behave Though a Debutante. For awesome etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about destination and second weddings and whether or not to send gifts. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I have something to tell you about. Yeah, you had a fun weekend, huh? I'm calling it a family date. Okay. I dig it. I, our family was meeting another family for the first time. Oh, so is it a blind date? It was almost a blind date. Okay. So my lovely wife mm-hmm. is socially gregarious. Mm-hmm. She is a remarkable woman. I mm-hmm. love her very much. <laughs> she takes our daughter to something called Open Gym mm-hmm. on Monday mornings. And this is a gymnastics studio that opens their doors to kids that aren't old enough to attend actual gymnastics classes. Okay. And it's a free-for-all. In the middle of the winter, all of these cooped-up parents bring their kids, and they just play on all this equipment, these big foam mats, and there's ball tank kind of thing. And And for those who don't know the gymnastics world, gymnastics starts very young. So if we're saying too young to join classes, we're talking one- and two-year-olds, three-year-olds, maybe maybe a couple four-year-olds, like real little kids. Yeah. Yeah. Mats and trampolines and... Ball pits and foam and balance beams, maybe. I don't know. There's like... Disney music playing on the speakers and it's (laughs) a lot of fun. Yeah. But it's it's also a big mix and mingle for a lot of cooped up getting close to cabin fever time of the year parents. (laughs) It's brilliant. So (laughs) there are some other little kids that Anisha had made friends with who came with a childcare provider, a nanny, and the discussion emerged with the nanny, oh, these parents are kind of new in town, but we think you'd really like them. You have some things in common. So the nanny set up the blind date. Kind of. And that Pooja had reached out and talked to the mother and they had sort of struck it off a little bit. And Pooja and Anisha had gone over to hang out with the kids on a play date. Okay. And they all decided, wouldn't it be fun if we got everybody together? So it was our turn to host. And we had a lunch where the parents and the kids came over and me and the other dad were totally new to each other. Pooja and the mother had just met this one time, mm-hmm. and the kids had played one time. But I was a little nervous about the I whole thing. I was going to say, because it's like, on the one hand, I mean, obviously you're confident in your hosting skills. Like, we know Dan likes to put a spread on. Dan keeps a very clean house. Like, you know, you're ready to go as a host. But it is, it's new people in your home, and you're like, I don't, what if I don't like this dad? And then I've got to spend, like, three hours with him. And, like, what if their kids want to do something I don't want them to do in the house? And do I have to parent the kid? How, oh, my goodness. Anxiety. I had first date nerves. You had first date nerves. I was um, sympathizing with the whole dating world again. It was taking me back in my in my mind to a, a different time in my life. <laughs> it went very smoothly. It was a lot of fun. There was definitely though that um, 
I wouldn't call it awkward first conversation, but okay. the, that I'm getting to know you conversation okay. where you're wondering, do I tell a lot of stories about myself? Do I ask questions? How uh-huh. deep do I go? Do I keep it kind of light and funny or do I actually get into some of the details? <laughs> do I ask, what do you do for a living? <laughs> How and, and when that question gets asked of me, into what detail do I go? Right. Do I answer the question because it's asked in a way that's informative or do I sort of politely deflect and try to go somewhere else? <laughs> you the, survived, clearly. <laughs> I did. And we ended up walking out the door saying, oh, this was so much fun. We have to do this again sometime. Cool. And I'll take you up on that offer to make a borscht anytime. <laughs> oh, all right. Very nice. Very nice. Good winter soup to think of. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're right. Pooja laid out the spread. I cleaned the house. <laughs> the kids played together comfortably for a good period of time, and then everybody's sort of nap time meltdowns happened at about the same time. Oh, good. So we were trading cranky kids towards the end. It provided a nice opportunity to wrap things up and say, oh, this has been so much fun. Let's get everybody home Home. for naps. (laughs) That's great. Oh, that's very good. It's nice to hear that the dating world doesn't stop just because you get married and have kids. Well, and I'm making new friends. Yes, which is very good. You do. You need new friends. Wait, let's say you need additional friends because your your current friends are great friends. <laughs> it's true. And they're also the, the, the friends that we have that have a lot of kids aren't as immediate in our town. Yeah. And as Pooj and I were reflecting afterwards, she was saying it's so nice to hang out with other people who have kids because as your kids are melting down, they understand. As their kids are melting down, you understand. It could feel there are things that could feel awkward that don't because you share the experience a little bit. Absolutely. Well, we know shared experiences are a very good thing, and I bet you know where this transition is going. Let's share some experiences with our listeners and get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your posts so that we know you want your question on the show. And Sustaining Members, remember to put Sustaining Members somewhere in your message. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Eat Free or Die. This question is a nod to our neighbors in New Hampshire, who Lizzie Post still believe have the most hardcore and awesome state motto ever, live free or die. Oh, yes. <laughs> our question begins. I have a question about eating treats in public. Tonight, I was at a casual pool party. I took a cupcake and was chatting with a few friends. And one friend who didn't have a cupcake asked me, is it good? Is it worth the calories? I assured her that it was very good, but after that I felt really uncomfortable eating it in front of her because it seemed she was trying really hard to resist having one. Should I have moved away to eat it? These were clearly available to everyone, but I don't want to make my friends feel deprived. Help! Enjoying a treat. Enjoying a treat. I have to be totally honest that when I first read your question... I, I kind of stopped right at the after the, is it good? Is it worth the calories? And immediately my brain went to the defensive of like, how dare someone question you about the food you're eating or make a comment like how many calories are in what you're eating and if it's worth it and rah, 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 eat in peace, eat for your die. Ah! <laughs> and then I'll, and like I was coming up with all kinds of great snarky retorts for it, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> it was, it's just where my brain goes. You know, I'm naturally pretty defensive. But I would say that I really loved f reading your question again because I realized that what you're really caring about here is supporting your friends in their own efforts and picking up on cues that they might be struggling at something like a bigger event or, or something like that. And I, I actually thought it was really commendable of you. But I, you do not need to hide in public when you eat something like this. You are absolutely right. These treats are being offered. They are a part of a larger gathering. When you invite this person over one-on-one, -on -one, you might consider making sure that you have something for them that maybe is less calorie-laden if you know that they are working on calorie consumption. Um, and that's true of any friend who's working on something. If it's, you know, cutting out television, don't invite them over for the Game of Thrones marathon you're planning on having over the next couple of weeks before the show starts, you know, because we're all going to do that. And, you know, wh whatever it is, you try to support your friends in those smaller, more intimate moments that you have with them. And even if you had a dinner party with two other couples and this person, you know, you might try to cater the meal a little bit towards their their needs or their desires at that time. But you you at a larger party, especially where you're not the host, you're another participating guest. I think it's great that you ate a cupcake and it's fine for you to eat a cupcake around whomever it is that you're talking to at that point. It doesn't it doesn't matter. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. It's nice to be thoughtful. But you shouldn't feel like you have to hide or like what you were doing was unpleasant for your friend. I don't think so. Absolutely not. Pool parties with cupcakes? 
Sounds like fun. I really want to go to one right now. I would like a cupcake right now. <laughs> I was trying to think of times where you might want to be more discreet or you might make a choice to step aside or do something in a little more private way. And all of those questions really came around, is it available for everyone? Right. That if you brought the cupcake, if it's your treat, if there's not enough to share, if it's not part of the event, those are all times where, yeah, you might, just because you've got it and other people don't, want to be on your own a little more or be less obvious about what you're enjoying or what you're doing. Totally. Like if we were on like a little group outing together and I was showing up with like a pastry and a coffee before, I might try to scarf my pastry if I knew like you were saying, oh, I really am trying to stay away from that right now, but I knew I really wanted it. I might try to get it, eat it before in the car or, you know, save it for later or something like that. But for the most part, it's it it is up to the people who are are working on whatever restriction they are dealing with to start to build up the the confidence and the familiarity with adhering to that restriction in the ways that they need to in all kinds of environments. We hear this anytime we make a change in our lives that it's up to us to face those challenges. Well, and I've heard you say many times on this show, you get in trouble when you start to assume things about other people. True. You have not a lot of information here. Even when you're reading the question, you interpret it different ways. Oh, yeah. It's really up to this person to interpret it. This comment could be them asking, boy, is that yummy? Is it worth the calories? I'm thinking about going to get one. Yeah. And that's that's it. That's all that's going on there. So trying to step aside in response to that, I think that you're better off letting that person make those decisions and choices for themselves. Enjoying a treat. We hope that you're able to enjoy that treat in the future. After a month or two of this, Ralph suddenly realized that a slow change had taken place without his noticing it. He found that eating had become fun. Our next question is titled, Shoe Unto Others. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm hoping you can help me out with a tricky situation. This past week, I hosted a friend for a night and day at my apartment which, I should mention, is in a very small one-bedroom apartment in New York City that I share with my partner. Since the city is so dirty, I am very neat and super mindful of not tracking dirt and germs around in the apartment, and I clean every day. I make sure to always take my shoes off at the door on the hardwood floor. We have two area rugs close to the door area, as we do not have a mudroom. I purchased an entryway bench for a comfortable way to sit down, to take off and put on shoes. My friend has visited multiple times before and always wears her shoes around our apartment. I'm terrible at speaking up to people, so I have never said anything. Just let it slide. I also should mention that I lived with her for a brief period, not in a dirty city, and she would yell at me to take shoes off the instant I walked in the door. Of course I would, and I'm very respectful of other people's property and feelings. This visit, I promised myself that I would say something and ask her not to wear shoes in the apartment if I had to. Lo and behold, when we were getting ready to go out, she sat on the chair in our living room area and started putting on her sneakers. I noticed and nicely asked her to come and sit on the bench to put her sneakers on as to not dirty the rug. She said, no, I don't have dirt on my shoes. I even checked. I asked her again, and I said, I just don't want to get the floors and rug dirty because I'm a clean freak, kind of trying to make light of the situation. 
She said no again. There's no dirt. And she got up and walked around the apartment with her shoes on and even went in our bedroom and bathroom. I seriously cringe inside when she does this and get so angry because I feel like her reaction was disrespectful. It really bothers me because I tried to be brave and I feel like I handled the situation correctly. It's also frustrating because of the way she has treated me in the past in her home. Should I have done something different? Do you have any advice or sample scripts to use when the situation occurs again? Any feedback would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for your time and for producing an amazing podcast. I look forward to my Monday afternoons. Best Anonymous. Anonymous, I got so mad when I read this question the first time. And then when we got to the point in the show where Lizzie started to read the question, I just had to stop and say, this question made me so mad. <laughs> it made me mad, too. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it, cuz, because when I hear this, I am angry. I am like... This is so blatantly disrespectful. And for someone who who's clearly trying to make an effort at being nice and being accommodating and to have been pushed down so many times in the past and yelled at for this in a home that you are sharing with someone, I mean, it really seems like this person who is visiting should have the wherewithal to understand what's going on here and to respectfully sit on the bench and keep the shoes on the hardwood floor. Clearly. Yeah, like this is this shouldn't be unreasonable. You are definitely facing a really hard situation, Anonymous. Black and white rudeness. Yeah. Bordering on, for me, friendship extinction level event. And I, I, I want to sort of scale the answer because I don't just want to jump to that place right away. I feel like we're role reversing here, except that I'm totally on your I'm like, I'm like, Dan, just keep going. I'm loving everything you're saying. <laughs> oh, the, the direct rudeness is what gets me. Oh, yeah. the, the the no and then in your face. And then it's, it's almost like a challenge. Like, what are you going to do about it? So it becomes a real question. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And I think these are those opportunities in life where you get to learn a little something about yourself because this is behavior that steps well outside normal social expectations. And I think it begins with controlling that anger emotion mm-hmm. because the the one thing you don't want to do, and it's almost like you're you're being goaded into an anger response. Right. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to give someone else that kind of control over me. This is my mother talking. When you get angry, you, you give up your control and you mm-hmm. let someone else take control of a situation. Mm-hmm. So managing that anger, I think, is your first step. And for me doing that requires remembering that I do have a lot of control in this situation. And that control comes in so many ways. It comes in terms of what my immediate next response is, what I do to escalate that response if it isn't resolved in a way that I can live with. And finally, that I do get to decide whether I ever invite this person back again, whether I ever want to talk to them again, depending on how they respond to me and the way that I choose to handle the situation. And you do have all those options in front of you, so there's no need to lower yourself to her level of behavior by getting upset by saying anything that's disrespectful or hurtful. I'm imagining the pressure of the moment because this friend is staying with you. And you're so so if Dan said to me, no, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like like this friend did. And I'm I, I would there would be a part of me that would say, I appreciate that you think they're clean, but I don't. And this is the rule of my household. And if you're going to stay here, I need to ask that you follow it. And 
I think there would be some friends I would be comfortable doing that with and I could trust and believe that the friendship could handle it and that this was just a really odd moment of disconnect between us. And I think that there are other friendships that I would not feel comfortable saying that with or other relationships of visitors I have that I would not feel comfortable saying that with. And I would let it slide and then choose to not invite them over again. I had exactly the same thought that you might be in deep enough at this point where it would be more awkward to just kick someone out and that you might just have to survive till the end of the stay and decide that you're never going to do it again. That's our big picture feeling. What's the like stages of intervention here, Dano? I think we already see what I'm thinking of as the first three stages here. There oh, yeah. was the preparation ahead of time. You've got a bench. You've got some little area rugs. You've got your system in place. You've introduced your house guest to your system. You've explained the reasons for it. You've reminded them. You've reminded them again with a little bit of good humor when you see the infraction or that system not being observed. Because you've done all those things, I think that you're in good shape to start to escalate your response. It's okay to be a little more serious. And I think of sort of two stages of serious response. One where you're addressing the problem itself, the breaking of the rule. You're giving your reasons again why the rule's in place and why you'd like someone to observe them. And then I think you can also address the relationship itself. You can say even if you don't agree with my thinking or the rule, you – could observe this out of respect for me, and I would really appreciate that and would ask that you do that. I'm thinking a little bit about all the different ways I could say this, and frankly, there's so much I want to say. I feel like there's a lot of things that you could say. (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. There are. There are a lot of things that you could say, and I think that it it depends a little bit on one of those first thoughts that Dan talked about, which is, are you going to entertain continuing this friendship in this way and having this person come over? And if you are, and that question of another trip is coming up, or if you are going to speak up, one of the first things that we talk about doing is asking permission to have a conversation. And some sample language for that might sound like, Jennifer, there's something that's been bothering me about our friendship. Would you be willing to hear about it? And that it it invites Jennifer to say, oh, gosh, you know, wow, I thought our friendship was fine. So, yeah, I'm curious. What's up? Or, you know, no, I really don't care. I mean, not many people will end up saying that. Most people say, well, boy, I didn't think anything was wrong. What do you see going on? And that can give you the chance. And now here's here's where you're going to kind of divide. You might choose to simply talk with her about how you have some clear house rules that you also thought that she would really understand because they are they are rules you actually learned or adopted or embraced while living with her. And you were really hurt that they weren't respected in your home and that while she may have thought her shoes were clean, it was not the rule that you have set up with your house and it caused you quite a bit of anxiety. And you're wanting to hang out with her again. You're wanting to invite her over and do another trip. But when you go to want that, you're blocked by this feeling of disappointment that you were disrespected in your own home. And that's that's a lot of explanation. It's 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 really getting into it. But it is letting her know that you had expected something different, especially given your previous cohabitation. And it was really disappointing in your own home to feel that way. And I think that another version of that could be simply to focus on the moment that happened between you that particular day and say, you know, when 
I had asked for you to please use the bench and keep your shoes out of the apartment and just in that little small entry area and on the hardwood floor. And instead, you were wearing your shoes all around. And even if you had put clean wipes on the bottom of them or something, it still made me uncomfortable in my own home. And I don't want to feel that again. The only other version I can say is that if you don't really want to address this, if you're not feeling like a confrontational person, that the next time the issue of whether or not this person is going to come stay with you comes up, that's when you want to just say, you know, we're kind of changing our house policy a little bit and we'd actually prefer an Airbnb, but we you to stay at an Airbnb, our house isn't a good place for visitors. Um, would you, you know, would you be open to that because we can still do all the fun things in the city that we love? That's kind of the circumvent, the way to go. Like, I don't want to have the confrontational conversation, but I do want to not invite this person back to my home. And I do still want to spend time with them and move the friendship forward. I'm just setting this particular boundary. So you have options in terms of sample language. But if you're going to address it, invite the conversation. This is something Dan teaches in the business etiquette seminars all the time, and it really does work. Could we talk about something? There's something I'm, I'm a little upset about, and I'm not sure you're aware. Anonymous, thanks for this question. It's good every once in a while to look at a situation that's really quite uncomfortable because I think it forces us to really think about what's going on and what our options are, what our possible responses to those difficult situations look like. We hope that you're able to find some resolution to this that allows this friendship to continue but also leaves you feeling good about that friendship at the same time. Bob has a habit, a habit that's not so good. Why, Bob didn't even know he had the habit of not being courteous. But now that he knows about it, Bob would like to change to a better habit. And he wants Jerry to help him change. What do you think? Our next question is titled, Kinda, Sorta, A Baby Shower? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener and have a challenging etiquette situation that could use your wisdom. I am perplexed by the issue, but also glad to have a reason to finally chime in with a question. Here it goes. I have lived far away from my childhood home for almost two decades. I go back every two to three years. As of last year, my parents have also moved away to somewhere much warmer. Every time I go back, we throw a party for all the family and friends so we get a chance to spend time together and catch up. This year, we are planning to go back for a visit, but with one complication. I am pregnant. Congratulations! My mom would like to throw me a baby shower during our visit back home. I feel that since they no longer live there and I go back so rarely, it feels like throwing a baby shower is just a play for gifts, which is not the intent. My preference is to throw our normal party with good food and great conversation. And if people want to bring a present, which they will, then great. We can send them the registry on the side. Curious your thoughts on the approach here. My mom's approach makes it very clear that the occasion is about the baby-to-be. My approach is a little more confusing and could leave individuals who don't bring a gift feeling uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to do that. Thank you for your time to help me think through the best way to play this hostess dance. I really appreciate your work and am grateful that you share it with the world. Best, someone who doesn't want to make it about the presence. Throw the baby shower and call it a baby shower. That's one solution. <laughs> I think it is. I, for me, that is the solution. You're not grabbing for gifts here. This is 
really typical of people who live far away from their families and come home for an annual visit, oftentimes when there's big news to celebrate, a job promotion or first job, a wedding or an engagement, a graduation. Thank you, Dan. I needed the words. Um, a, A baby. And a baby is a specific one that I think really does kind of get its own event. The others, I think, are a little easier to fold into a a celebration. Birthday. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's a birthday, whether it's a graduation, whether it's a congratulations or even a retirement congratulations, they're easier to fold in. But the baby shower really is about celebrating and supporting you and as a family doing that. And not only do I think your family would would really like the opportunity to do that, and it sounds like mom's leading the charge in that department, but I think that it's it's I I do see it as the more considerate option as opposed to doing the casual party where people and you say they really will likely want to bring gifts. It's it's almost like let's throw a barbecue and then kind of this other thing usurps the idea of the barbecue. And I could see other guests being like, well, why didn't they just throw a shower if this kind of turned into one anyway? Here's the other thing is that if you do it by people just bringing gifts if they want to, you're not going to be opening those gifts in front of them. It's not going to have the same feel of support and exchange that a baby shower actually has. And I think having listened to my cousin rave about how much he loved his baby shower, his Jack and Jill baby shower, I think you actually want to let that be a thing. Now, you could do baby shower in the afternoon, bigger family barbecue, you know, and you could invite everyone or maybe it's a smaller group that comes to a baby shower and then everyone who maybe wouldn't have felt as comfortable being invited to the baby shower comes to the bigger family event. So you're not also kind of usurping the only time family's going to get together for the baby shower. But I also don't want to say that because I think a lot of family would just be thrilled to get to celebrate this with you, especially because you live far away. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Call it a baby shower. Do all the gifts and the good parts of it. And then also then spend time with the family focusing on that nor- that that kind of yearly or I think she said three yearly, (laughs) every other year annual event that happens when the family gathers. I love the encouragement to go for it and make it a baby shower. Give it the elements of a baby shower and do it. Have the sit around and do the gifts, do the registry, call it shower. I was going to say option two if you really don't want to go that route. It's really option three because now we have another option sorry, two on sorry, the table. I threw option two on the table. <laughs> which is do both. I, I The other option is do the other, which is oh, yeah. don't have the baby shower. But that means don't distribute that gift registry and Correct. really make that event the event that you and your mother are hosting because you don't need a non-guest of honor host. Right. And give those signals and cues that let people know it's the usual party. And people will still congratulate you. They will love hearing the news and you can still share that news. But really remove that gift-giving question. And Lizzie touched on this in her part of the answer that definitely don't open gifts in front of people if you go that other route. Because it's not a shower. And that's that's a shower event and that's a great recipe for mixing it enough that it starts to muddle it and make the people that didn't bring gifts or who might not bring gifts feel uncomfortable. And that's obviously not your intent. Big picture, I love the encouragement to go for the shower. It is not a grab for gifts. There are people that will appreciate it. And I kind of like that both option if there are people on the list who you wouldn't necessarily want to feel the pressure of a shower invite. 
have that separate second event that gives them the chance. But give yourself the chance to enjoy that shower. Someone who doesn't want to make it about the presents, we hope that you have a wonderful time back home visiting family and celebrating this incredibly wonderful news in your life. Wish my family were like that. We never do anything, never have the time. Neither do we. But how did they work it out? Our next question is about desperately seeking spoons. So I gotta say, this was a first for us, and I had to ask Dan if he had a, 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 if he had relatives by the name of, of the email that we received. But this one starts, hi, cuz, and it's C-U-Z, which is exactly what Dan and I type to each other when we're writing emails back and forth. <laughs> I was definitely like, wait a minute, do we know, wait, is this fam? Hold on, hang on. <laughs> we really liked the greeting. Hi, cuz. I'm a big fan, and surprisingly, so is my husband. I have a question you may be interested in answering. Here it goes. I work in a shared office space with two amazing, in all caps, co-workers. We have a great rapport and constantly help each other when we need it. I am truly blessed by the situation, despite having my own office for all of my career. Because we share a space, disposable plates, bowls, and utensils seem to disappear rather quickly, and I was the one who was constantly purchasing items. In an effort to be more sustainable, I went out and purchased a reusable plate, fork, knife, spoon, and bowl. Well, quickly the disposable supplies ran out and haven't been replaced. Instead, they keep asking me to borrow my reusable utensils. I always say yes, because we're so supportive of one another. But they don't wash and return the supplies after they use them. And often I've had to find alternative utensils to eat or wash my utensils that they have used. Do you have any advice on creating boundaries but maintaining the relationships that I've worked so hard to build? Thanks. I love you. Signed, Desperately Seeking Spoons. Well, because we have a couple of thoughts on this one. My first big thought is office kitchens are big-time problem areas. There was this hysterical photo that hung above the sink at the Emily Post Institute <laughs> office for years. There was a picture of Lizzie's father, Peter, with a uh, a word bubble coming mm-hmm. up out of his, his mouth. There was an old printed picture that said, don't mess with the sink. And Dad had quite the. He was. He's a squinty guy, and so when he t- it when looked I, like Peter's mean face. He was. It was like it's. It, and the, I actually was the person who took the photo, and the face was. Why are you taking that photo? So you can like imagine the kind of like question mark and like quasi glare. Even though my dad's Throat a total jo- jovial dude, but like. It was very funny. In fact, that photo was claimed when we left the office by someone else in the building who loved it so much and wanted it for their own office sink situation. (laughs) Anyway, side story aside. Shared office kitchen. Definitely a place where you want to up your courtesy game. And I'm sorry that your coworkers haven't upped their game. Although it sounds like it's a a pretty cohesive, a pretty high-functioning work environment. You seem to think highly of your coworkers. It sounds like your work relationships are good relationships that you generally value, which is going to provide the foundation for this not being a big deal or a big problem. For me, I would start with talking with your coworkers in the same way you introduced this question and talk about how you want to use less of the disposable supplies and you got yourself this reusable set and you think it'd be a great idea if other people did the same. I think just talking out that is probably going to be enough to let them know that 
this new one-time use reusable set of stuff that you've gotten for yourself is intended for you and that you haven't you didn't buy a set of this stuff you didn't buy enough for everybody so letting them know as the tradition changes how you're thinking about it and what your new approach is is i think the way to set them up for success and we'll probably give them a cue as to what your expectations are moving forward so you know what i'm gonna ask right what are you gonna ask what is sound like because this is when i have a hard time like someone's like asking me for my bowl plate and spoon and i'm like thinking i've got to use it in an hour or maybe i've just finished it and washed it i'm bold enough that i would feel really comfortable saying i'm totally willing to give this to you dan but listen up You got to wash it and return it as soon as you're finished because I do not want to be searching for spoons. I don't want to be trying to guess what kind of chicken and rice combo salad thing has been in here and how long it's been stuck on there for. I'm pretty much with you. (laughs) And the pretty much comes from because you said it all with a smile on your face. And it's built on what we've acknowledged. that There's a good relationship here to begin with. So Mm -hmm. you've probably got some latitude to deliver something that with a little humor. I also think what you said is pretty much fine. That I'm happy to let you use it. Yep. Please wash it and put it back so that it's there tomorrow when I am ready for lunch. I think that's a totally reasonable thing to say to somebody. Or even in this case, put it back and use it after you're finished with it because someone else is probably going to ask me for it for like the next lunch hour. Also a great thing to <laughs> like, say. Right? I'll also say, I thought you were really generous and you painted a scenario where you couldn't say the thing that I would probably say first, which is I've only got this one to use today. If I haven't had my lunch yet, I think it's okay to say no. That This is my plate and my spoon and my fork for lunch and I'm going to be using it. I think that's a, a perfectly reasonable thing to say to someone. Would you amend it to say, um, after I'm finished with it, I'm happy to rinse it out for you if you do the same for me, <laughs> like, when you're finished? Like, you know, because like, I, I also understand, like, offices can be really busy days and sometimes you really don't have time to run out and, like, pick something up. And and that bowl is right there and it's not going to be used the entire – I can see the the convenience logic kicking in that makes you start to look like a curmudgeon for not wanting to like give your precious bowl out. Like I could see myself being like, okay, there's a solution to this and yes, it involves me washing the bowl. But come on, man. Let me use the bowl. <laughs> okay. Here we go right down the rabbit hole. There right, is a sort of right? convenience Uh, conundrum that starts to pop up, which is, to me, it's very quickly going to become apparent that it's not convenient for three people to share one bowl, one fork, one spoon, one knife. And I think that as that starts to become apparent and would with any of these answers, the I'm happy to let you use it, but wash it so I can use it later or no, I've got to use it right now or I just used it. You can use it, but please wash it so that it's available for someone else or me later. I think all of a sudden you're starting to paint a picture that says, go get yourself a bowl and a, spo- a spork. <laughs> spork. Hey, go get hey, yourself yeah. <laughs> a bowl, a spoon, a fork, and a knife that you can also use. I'm going to jump back to the very first piece of advice. When okay. you change the way a kitchen functions, if you've been purchasing disposable supplies in the past, if people have gotten used to that, just letting people know that you've got reusable stuff for yourself now and that you're not going to be purchasing those disposable supplies. And it doesn't need to be a big ultimatum declaration, (laughs) but just letting other people in on your thinking that the reason you stopped doing it is that you don't want to buy this disposable stuff again and again and again. 
I think is going to prepare them to say, you know, we're probably not all going to share a knife, a spoon, a fork, and a bowl moving forward and figure out either to get their own disposable stuff or bring in their own reusable stuff. I also just want to say um, my little (laughs) sustainable energy front, like, way to go on ditching the disposable plastics in your life. Um, It is is really a huge help to our environment. If you haven't been made aware yet of just how much plastic consumption is – overtaking our our planet. I think that it's a really good thing. There are lots of little ways. I started with straws. I started with not consuming straws when I go out and getting metal and glass and ceramic straws for at home. And I've loved that. And I'm starting to look at other ways to remove disposable and really any kind of plastic, plastic packaging from my life as much as possible. And it's a real challenge. um, And I commend you for, for going for it. Anytime you must in emergency borrow the possessions of some other member of the family, make sure you take good care of them and return them on time. It's an obligation you owe to their owners, don't you think? Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach out uh, via Twitter, where we are at emilypostinst, or Facebook, where we are awesomeetiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today's feedback is short and sweet and kind of hysterical. (laughs) Hi. In response to the discussion about parking etiquette, I'd like to point out that pull-through parking does not work for angled parking spaces. This is something that my husband keeps reminding me of, as when you pull through an angled space, you are angled to exit the spot going the wrong direction slightly dangerous and definitely has the potential to create parking lot chaos best am and thank you so much for sharing that you are absolutely right and i have definitely been uh, just noticing my own parking lot behavior etiquette and um and have been trying to pay a little bit more attention and just be a little bit more courteous even in my my rushed erranding If we can make that a verb. We can. We can. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's postscript is I, – I keep writing that it's purely for entertainment. It's pretty entertaining. But it is, is really entertaining. But it's actually not only purely for entertainment. Um, we are going to be diving into Emily Post's wonderful, wonderful fictional story, How to Behave, Though a Debutante, where um, Emily lets Muriel, a young debutante in the 1920s, uh, be the star of the show and tell us what life is really like during this time for someone who is young. And uh, Muriel's as wonderfully vapid and at the same time insightful as you could imagine. (laughs) 
This book is Emily Post writing pseudonymously as Muriel, a yep. fictional character, this other this alter ego that she adopted, who is both uh, at times a good example and at times a really terrible example of etiquette in the 1920s. So this is a section of the book where Mariel goes into conversation and she talks about topics that ought to be fined, as in like topics that she's so sick of hearing about or that are so kind of grotesquely ostentatious that she thinks you should be charged if you dare enter them. Um, Taboo topics of conversation. And she's always constantly like jumping back to family. And then she she does bring it back to family where it's conversation again, the family. So we're going to take it from page 61 all the way through page 66. And please bear with my murdering of the French language. We are also going to give Muriel a very affectatious voice and, and play her up. So again, this is this is not etiquette for today, but I think it does illustrate that many of the same attitudes, problems, scenarios seem to emerge throughout each decade that that etiquette lives through. Muriel begins, Some topics ought to be fined. One of these is the question, Do you think that means he loves me? When all other evidence is to the contrary. But on more trifling subjects, I really think there ought to be a dollar fine for each mention of a Paris dressmaker. It really does get on your nerves to hear everybody bleeding day and night, day after day, and night after night. My dress is Lanvin. My hat is Rabot. This model is Vionette. That was a Jenny I wore last night. But Cora Spear went to the bleedings one louder at lunch today by announcing that her clothes were always designed for her by Poiret himself. Whereupon Snooks, who never looks less than a picture by Demare, said with her unquenchable enthusiasm, Oh, Cora, are they? My clothes are especially designed for me, too, by Maggie Murphy, on our own third floor back. But now, before going on to the most vital part of the subject, which is conversation with a new best beau, I had better finish the topic touched upon a few pages ago, which is the taboo subjects of conversation. In society, as composed of mama's special circle, scarcely any subjects are tolerated except foreign travel, music, art exhibitions, and the weather. But we of today, on the contrary, believe in freely discussing everything we can think of, especially if it's a problem. We talk quite a lot about sex, of course, and its problems, as to when it's an asset and when it's a liability, and we quite often analyze its unexpected appeal or failure to appeal. We believe that every serious problem of human nature is discussable. For instance, we don't discuss our family's failings, except in their attitude towards ourselves, which is, of course, a favorite and unending topic. In fact, our family's misunderstandings of us is about the best topic possible with which to attract the sympathy of a new beau. We don't tell outsiders about our real problems or about our true opinion of each other, but we discuss them endlessly when alone among ourselves. Taboos are really awfully hard to explain because some people, Bobby Whiteley, for instance, can take his conversation wherever his impulse leads, 
Kennels, hospitals, nursery, bathrooms. He can't even be trusted to respect the taboo of advertisements. Bobby can say things that would make you just curl over and shrivel were they said by anyone else. And we all just scream with laughter. I think it's because he's always so sort of impersonal. I really can't describe what I mean, except that he might be just a portrait on the wall so far as anything back of his appearance goes. Really, I think if one of us were to have absolutely no clothes on at all, he wouldn't even notice. And of course what he says is screamingly funny, or anyway, it seems so. Even so, I don't know why Bobby is alone immune. Hugo Crabber isn't a bad sort, and yet let him say anything that is ever so much less raw than Bobby's daily remarks, and he is met with congealing silence. The only reason I can give is that you feel as though Crabber were suddenly sitting in his socks and collarless shirt sleeves, while Bobby remains that portrait on the wall. Of course, the family would like us to thoroughly taboo what they call profanity, which is certainly a terribly exaggerated way of describing a few my gods here and there. Of course, you do get into the habit of saying more than you think you do, because none of us notices ordinary exclamations. Anyway, I was simply laid out by Bill for swearing. When he got through, I simply asked sweetly for his preference. Should I say, moisty me, fudge, or oh my? Whereupon he got mad and I collected a brand new vocabulary. Again, the family. The trouble with the average family is that it simply has no sense of values. It can't understand the difference between indifference to conventions and indifference to ideals. It can't understand how anyone who isn't absolutely tagged and ready for delivery to Satan's kingdom can break the third commandment even in pain. For example... Mama happened to be nearby a door which slammed on Isabel's finger. It hurt her terribly, and no wonder she exclaimed a few picked what-price-glory words. Mama's manner could really have been used to cool the icebox, and Isabel is now banned. I defended her. Of course I did, but to no use. That a well-bred girl could utter such words, no matter if it was in pain, is beyond Mama's beyondest understanding. On the other side, it is beyond my comprehension that any reasoning human being could be so shocked at what were just unthinking expressions. Of course, we wouldn't any of us confess shock if we felt it, which, of course, in this case, we didn't. But if there is ever something we feel we can't stand— then in our opinion, the thing to do is to deliberately face it until it no longer shocks. Life is life. There is no use trying to cope with it by not being able to bear it. She's a riot. I mean, she's an absolute riot. You're a riot. Where does that voice come from, Lizzie Bowes? I have no idea. I have no idea. It's the right voice for this character. You think so? I do. One day I hope we get to do this as an audiobook. It'd be really fun. But I, I love that here is Muriel really describing that among friends, hello, we talk about everything and nothing is taboo. And it's all better when it's out on the table in front of us. And you can hear Mama saying, like, I don't care whether you think it's better. It's not 
polite conversation. And I love that Mama and her cohorts, their their conversation is limited to music, art, the weather, like, you know, like just the real classic. Foreign travel. <laughs> like foreign travel. Yeah. But it it just it's so delicious and it cracks me up. First of all, Snooks. I mean, come on, the name Snooks, Jersey Shore, that was not original. Like that nickname has been around for a long time. But I'm listening to her just describe herself and it's so animated and delicious and funny. And oh, I just love Muriel. It's a spoof. And at the same time, it's so revealing. It's still it's it's Emily Post spoofing herself as a young woman. And the layers of complexity, it's a really rich character. It's a really rich environment that she's creating. And it's hard to tell. This is the the, the postmodern mind looking at it totally. saying, what is the point of view? What is the critique here? And it's hard to find in some ways because in some ways I think she delights in this character. Oh, yeah. And Loves in other her. ways, it's, it's, it is a critical view. Yes. I mean, she is foolish and she's being spoofed. And at the same time, it's also being used to reveal certain truths like it matters what we say and how we say it and when and in what company we say it. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was really revealing to hear someone expressing the point this very modern, very forward perspective in the 1920s <laughs> that we talk about whatever we want. And I was thinking about hearing very similar things expressed when I was a young person 20, 30 years ago. Totally. And today by people who are 20, 30 years younger than me, it, it really reminds you that even the, the, the parts of etiquette that seem like they change all the time, rules about communication, what we say, how we say it, when we say it. Underneath it all, the question remains, how much do you say? Exactly. And and when is it okay? I was talking about it in our intro today. Yeah, yeah. How, what do I say to this? How much do I tell them about my business? How much do I ask about their business? Or what does it see? It, it's, it's delicious. It's delicious. For me... I love the fact that we're we're listening to a, a daughter in some places describe her mother. And so we're talking about a, a generation, just, you know, one generation apart, not – and it could be any mother and daughter from any decade referring to each other. And there's such a case both for Muriel's put-it-all-out-there therapy-style life that she lives with her friends, and there's such a case for her mother's use the tools of polite conversation to keep things smooth and easy and not dramatic and not everything a big deal. And I I know in my own life that those those two voices have played out, and as I get older, I often use more and more of Mama's polite toolbox and and I also appreciate having spent a ton of time in a world that let me talk about everything that's on my mind and everything that's going on because, as Muriel says, life is life. But it just – it's its delicious and it's wonderful and I'm, I'm so delighted that Emily took the time to produce a book like this. It's so much fun to visit that world. Thank you for taking us there. My pleasure. How can you tell the difference between fact and gossip? What do you think? We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have a salute to a well-adjusted three-year-old. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I wanted to give an etiquette salute to my own three-year-old daughter, Scout. 
We held her third birthday party last weekend. She invited seven of her friends. Six of them all go or went to preschool together and know each other. One of them did not, so hadn't met the others. When that specific friend showed up, my daughter held her hand and told her other friends, This is my friend. I was so proud of my daughter for introducing her friend to her other friends to make all guests feel welcome at only three years old. Etiquette gold stars all, <laughs> all around. I love it. I love the little so picture. <laughs> I'm sure the party was a smashing success. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with the show and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. However you like to share your favorite podcast with your friends, family, and coworkers, we appreciate the recommendation. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the show. That's the ads version of the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It really helps with our show rating. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.